Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with Elizabeth Hamilton Garino and Chris Fuller, helping you and people across the globe live life to the fullest. Our focus is on you so you can be your best and create the life you deserve. Visit us at besteveryou.com. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Uh, we've got a great guest with us. We have Erica Comissard. Erica, did I say your name right? <laughs> I want to make sure. You did. You did perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, it, uh, yeah, I just didn't want to destroy your name right off the bat, but I, I thought mm-hmm. I'd double check. Um, Erica yeah. is, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff here that we're going to talk about, but what I, what I want to make sure people know right off the bat is that Erica has a new book out. It's called Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling, and it's a comprehensive guide that gives you tools that you need as a parent to navigate through this time of change and create those deep connections with your children. And really, Erica, um, when I say children, you probably mean kids of all ages, because I read through this, and it's not just, you know, when I think of child, I think of little kid, but it's it's all ages, correct? It is, it is, um, and, and I have another book called Being There, which is zero to three, but really, um, there's a lot of um, similarities between early childhood and adolescence, so we really do talk about all of childhood in regards to these skills in the book. Yeah, and I um, I'm curious, are you... How many kids do you have kids? I have four. I do. I have three kids. Um, they're mm-hmm. older now. I have a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 22-year-old. Okay. So I have four boys or four sons or four young adult men, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> they are yes. uh, 20. <laughs> Always be kids to me, but they're young men, uh, 20, 22, yep. 24, and 26. So between the two of us, we have seven kids on this call. That's pretty cool. We do. We do, and most of them are adolescent because adolescence is 9 to 25, and most people don't know it goes on that long. And why is that? That's good information right there. Talk about why. uh, We've noticed this a little bit. Um, Tell us why. Why 25? So what happened is in the 90s, uh, we had the technology to really, it was called the decade of the brain in the 90s. We had the technology to actually see the brain um, and see what was happening and see when it started to happen and when it stopped happening. Um, so, you know, adolescence was always regarded as something maybe between 12 and 19. Um, and, and then we learned actually that the changes in the brain that we call adolescence start as early as nine and end as late as 25. Um, and that's important information because it means that the brain, it's called a sensitive or critical window of development for the brain. And that means that there's a lot of influence that you can have as a parent in that window. Definitely. Well, that's, that's really good information. You know, the, the one, we're going to talk about what inspired you to write this book in a second, but can you talk about mm-hmm. the actual book? Because this has got some really important topics for, you know, always, but especially right now. Well, I mean, I wanted to really write a comprehensive mental health guide for parents because it, it was a way for me to help bring parents and children closer together. I mean, Parents, if you ask any parents, they're going to say they want to be close to their child, but they often don't know how. Um, And there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding on how to be close to your children and how to help to give them that, um, that, that emotional security, that foundation that helps them to be resilient to stress and adversity in the future. You know, there's a lot of suffering 
that I was seeing in my practice. And, um, and I knew that it could be prevented and relieved through helping parents to help children. So really I wrote the book. Um, and, and it's interesting because it does address everything that's going on in the world that's causing uh, extra stress for our children, but it really doesn't focus too much on that. It really focuses on what parents can do uh, again, to create that good foundation and prevent some mental health issues, but also what to look for. And each chapter is on a different issue that parents might face. You know, there's a chapter on eating disorders. There's a chapter on uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction. There's a chapter on gender and sexuality and on and on. So it, you can read the whole book and get a great deal from it, but you can also pick it up as a reference book at any time that you might be facing any of these challenges and read that chapter again. Are we doing something wrong as parents? Like we, we seem to be like, oh, my child has this. I've failed <laughs> or something like that. Are we, can you address that like guilt that parents feel when their child might have anxiety or depression or a drug problem or a or a weight problem, you know, whatever it is. But we as parents sometimes internalize that like this is our fault. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have a different take on guilt. And I have the same take on that on guilt with my first book, which is guilt is not a terrible feeling. I mean, I know in our society, we want to just kind of get rid of it and not think about it. And everybody says, don't feel guilty. But as a psychoanalyst, guilt is what we call a signal feeling. Um, it means that uh, either we're in pain or our child's in pain, and we need to look at ourselves uh, in that moment and look at our conflicts about it. And so excessive guilt is not helpful, but some guilt is, you know, if a signal feeling is like pain. If you're playing basketball and you break your ankle and you feel physical pain, you're not going to keep playing on that ankle. You're going to go to a doctor. You're going to look at the ankle. You're going to get it x-rayed. In the same way, if we feel guilty, if our child is suffering and we feel guilty, it makes us be self-reflective and maybe go talk to a parent guide or get help for ourselves as well as our child. That's all the good part of guilt. Um, And then there's excessive guilt, which isn't helpful to anyone, um, because the truth is that mental health issues in children and adolescents are due to a variety of causes. Um, And some of them have to do with us and some of them have to do with outside influences, particularly with adolescents. But guilt is not a terrible, terrible feeling. That's a great answer to that because I'm thinking, you know, um, if I'm, and I'm just going to throw an example out there for, you know, if I drink all the time, does it stand to reason that my child might if I drink all the time in front of them? Yeah, so and I, I assume you mean alcohol. If you're if you drink whatever, alcohol, yeah. um, if I yes, drink water all the time, alcohol, it's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. If you drink, that would be a good thing, right? If you Wouldn't drink it? alcohol, yeah. If you if you drink alcohol in front of your children, um, they model your behavior. Um, you know, they you, that you are their model. So if you if you have a glass of wine every once in a while on a weekend, you drink a glass of wine with a good dinner that's not going to model anything terrible. But if you're drinking uh, alcohol to regulate your emotions, which most people, I think 25% of America drinks alcohol to regulate their emotions. And that means you have a bad day and you use alcohol to unwind. You're now using it to alter your mood. Um, You feel depressed. You're using it to avoid those feelings. You're using it to avoid anxious feelings. Um, you're binge drinking, uh, that, that is usually regulating 
emotion. And if you use a substance of any kind, drugs, alcohol, food, uh, sex, uh, pornography, uh, gambling, if you use any substance or any behavior to regulate your emotions rather than learning to regulate them internally, um, then you model that for your children, and they are more likely to inherit that behavior. So, you know, everybody goes around saying, oh, alcoholism is, um, is passed down genetically. In fact, sensitivity to alcohol may be, but, but it's what we call inheritance of acquired characteristics. We pass down behaviors to our children through example. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah, I've been a lifelong non-drinker. That's why I kind of used that example. Yeah, yeah. Because no, I, just, no, I, mean, I just decided early on, I'm like, nope. And I didn't have parents that were yeah. alcoholics or anything like that either. I just, it's like poison to me for some reason. So I just think about that a little bit and just, I'm like, hmm, interesting. Well, if you're modeling it makes it. us have to be self-aware. <clears throat> it makes you have to be self-aware as a parent, right, in terms of what you're modeling for your children that you may not even be conscious that you're modeling. Um, yeah. So, and if you're, I would say the same thing, if you're in, um, in an unhappy or destructive or abusive relationship, you're going to model that behavior for your child. Um, we are our children's models. Thank you for answering that. Cause those are some of the questions yeah. that got sent in ahead of this uh, call. So why the name chicken little, the sky isn't falling. <laughs> When it. I was a little girl, yeah, when I was a little girl, there was a book called Chicken Little, the Sky is Falling. I, everybody must remember that book from childhood in America. Um, Chicken Little, the Sky is Falling was about a little, very vulnerable, very fragile chick who runs around um, because they believe that the sky is falling, basically very anxious and fearful. Um, and I wrote the book, and we tried to think of a way to describe to parents that, in fact, um, you know, there is a lot of bad stuff that children are exposed to um, in terms of global warming fears and too much academic pressure and social media use. I mean, we know what's happening now with the Facebook um, issue. You know, um, I could go on and on with lists of environmental pressures and stress on children, but that's really not the cause of anxiety and depression. It exacerbates already underlying fragility. Um, and so what we really want to work on as parents is helping to create a foundation for our children that helps them to become more resilient and be able to cope with the adversities that they're going to face. And they're going to face more adversity than, than I'm almost 60 than we did in our generation. Um, so, yeah, that, that is the, the, the point of the title of the book. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, what inspired you to write this again? Like, what? Why did you do this? You've got a lot going on. I mean, you're a, you're a clinical social worker. You you were you've been in private practice in New York City for 30 years. You've, you're a consultant to multiple people, places, and so forth. Why a book on top of it? Well, and this is my second book that was yeah. around the same issue, which is. Um, Again, I was seeing this rise, this epidemic of mental health issues in children and adolescents and um, so much suffering and so much unnecessary suffering. And, and I was seeing, you know, one family, and I still do, I have very full practice, but I was seeing, you know, how many patients could I actually see, maybe 30, 36 hours of patients a week. But I, I felt like I wanted to, I got, felt frustrated, right? So I felt like I wanted to reach a wider audience of people 
to help them with these issues. And, and again, one in five um, children or adolescents in America are going to, to face severe mental illness in their childhood. Um, and that's, that's just the severe part. Um, we have something like 30% of youth in America suffering from anxiety. 80% don't receive any treatment. Um, we have suicidal rates in this country have tripled in the last decade. So we have a real problem. And um, I really was trying to, to reach a larger audience and say you as parents have more influence over your children's mental health um, than you know, and there are ways that you can help to reinforce them so when they go out in the world, they become more resilient. Good point. Um, mm-hmm. to, yeah, no, very good point. I was, I was wanting you to keep going on that, actually. <laughs> I, I really yeah. like that that topic um, of just, I, I'm, I don't know, where am I going to go here? I'm thinking about the the suicide rate that you said and the, the fact yeah. that people are going with these disorders um, and issues undiagnosed and so forth. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we as parents like see that stop, spot it, stop that um, help? What, what are the signs and clues that we should be, we should be looking for and are they the same for everything or are they different? Uh, yeah. Help us out. It, it's a good question. And I would say that the book is, has actually things to look for. Each chapter describes different issues that you may face or challenges, mental health challenges, and each chapter will describe in detail. So I don't want to really do it a disservice by saying I can give you every symptom. But what you look for is not just one or two symptoms that you see in a child, meaning any child or adolescent can have a a day where they feel depressed or a day where they feel anxious. Um, We as adults have days when we feel depressed or anxious. That does not mean you're clinically depressed or clinically anxious. Um, And so what you look for is intensity and chronicity, meaning um, the number of symptoms, how intensely you feel them, and for how long. So if you feel uh, a number of the symptoms that I list in the book, and for instance, I can give you a for instance, you know, uh, with anxiety, it is um, if you feel agitated, if you're struggling to sleep or you're sleeping too much, if you're struggling with eating or you're eating too much, um, if you're socially isolated. Uh, these are some of the symptoms which um, if we see chronically in a child and with great intensity, we do not want to hesitate to get them help. And that's a really important message of my book is that as parents, we hope that things will get better and just go away. We don't want to wait. If we see something that needs addressing, you want to get to it sooner than later. Um, So uh, because the truth is that the sooner you get to some of these issues, the easier they are to treat. Do, do kids grow out of things or are these lifelong? Like, can you, you know, like so, a, if, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And the, and the answer is some, uh, some of these issues they can grow out of, um, but not without your help. I mean, they don't, it doesn't just happen uh, naturally. They will need some kind of help. And that help can come from you as a parent. Not every child who's suffering from anxiety and depression necessarily needs to be rushed to an emergency room or rushed to. And and in my book, I describe when you do rush your child to an emergency room. Um, But a lot of the issues, um, if you get to them early enough, you as parents 
again, have a great deal of influence over that child, meaning you as parents can do a lot of good in terms of reinforcing your child's emotional security and, and really helping them uh, along in their way. But So the answer is they can outgrow it, but with your help. And so the book is a way to give parents help to help their children. Okay. Um, again, this is this could be considered a little bit of a difficult conversation for us to be, you know, having. So bear with mm-hmm. it if this is a tough topic or a tough show. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Um, that we're gonna we're gonna get into the nitty gritty here a little bit, and so I just want to put a little star by this and just say, you know, th- this could be an uncomfortable conversation because I, I really want to talk about um, with you to maybe give us some guidance. Um, when you have a child who's got, um, let's say, anxiety or depression, yeah. in our society, we may or may not be programmed to take that child in and get a medication. Mm-hmm. Um, not ripping on medications, not saying yes, no, or anything like that, but can you give us some guidance there? Because that might be like, oh, in parent mode, be like, okay, they're fixed. Good. That's done. Check, yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Take your medication so, and all will be well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, medication is symptom relief. That's that's all it is, and that that is something. I mean, if you um, if you have a headache, you take Advil or aspirin or Tylenol, right, for symptom relief. But if the headache is caused by deeper stress um, or a brain tumor, I mean, this is a terrible analogy, but excuse my use of it. I use it often then you don't necessarily want to silence the symptoms. You want to understand what's causing the symptoms. So you can really get to the root of the problem and and address it there, right? And so medication, um, you know, is psychopharmacological medication. In most cases, is symptom relief. And and I think what happens in society is because we're a quick-fix society and, um, and these are complicated issues, parents, just want the symptoms to go away. And schools do too. Schools will send children straight to a psychiatrist to get their symptoms relieved without saying, wait a second, we need to send this child to an adolescent and child psychotherapist, a play therapist or a talk therapist, who's really going to help get to the um, psychosocial stressors that are causing uh, those symptoms, meaning anxiety isn't a thing in its in and of itself, neither is depression. There are underlying conflicts that cause those uh, those disorders. So, for instance, uh, if there are family conflicts or marital tension or illness in the family or mental illness in the family or two-parent working families where those kids are not getting the kind of uh, attention or their needs met emotionally. Um, There's so many issues, moving. um, I mean, I could go on and on about psychosocial stressors, but that in the end is what causes anxiety and depression. So if you just go to a psychiatrist first who's going to uh, just silence the symptoms, all you're doing is silencing pain. And as soon as you stop, taking that medication, the pain is going to come back uh, like a lion roaring. You know, what you Mm -hmm. really want to do is take your medication isn't a terrible thing if it's the last stop on the train, not the first stop, meaning taking your child to a really wonderful child and adolescent talk or play therapist, play therapist for a younger child and talk therapy for an older child and someone who, um, 
we euphemistically call in schools feelings doctors, um, really getting to the root of what's causing the anxiety and depression will help alleviate the symptoms. Now, if a child really in the immediate term is suicidal or their symptoms are very intense, sometimes children will be put on medication, but only as a bridge until the therapy, the talk therapy or play therapy can work. Um, not, it, it's sort of a, it would be a means to an end. It should never, ever, ever be an end in, in and of itself. And I never recommend that a child be on medication without being in psychotherapy. Got it. All right. Can we talk about the stigma? Um, no one wants anything to be wrong. And, and um, you know, there's a stigma that goes with all of this. Um, you know, if you think about everybody yeah. like on a block and they're all, look at me, look at me, I'm great, I'm the best, I'm the this, I'm the that, I'm the everything and everything. People don't go outside and go, here's all my problems. And here's this problem mm-hmm. and here's that problem. And there's a, there's a stigma that goes with problems. How do we, how do we deal with that in children and 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 ourselves for that matter. Um, and is there you mean, more? Yeah, just just the the negativity of having an, having a mental illness. Um, there's a stigma that goes with that. Um, and and are, do you feel that we as society are doing better with that to like remove that stigma? There's lots of mental health campaigns going on. Yeah, I mean, I think COVID has helped a lot in terms of destigmatizing um, treatment for mental health issues, right? I mean, now we have talk therapy that you can get online or um, digitally or, you know, so, and it's been made less expensive and it's more, it's definitely more accessible. Um, and, you know, there, there are so many ways in which um, I think we've, we've taken what was stigmatized and turned it into something that is not. That's the good part. Um, I think still in many parts of this country and based on family cultures, um, you know, there is still the feeling that to go for help is a bad thing. And what I try to say to my patients um, is that reaching out and depending on others for help is a strength. Trying to do it completely on your own is a sign of vulnerability. And that is just the opposite of what most people think. That they, you know, and most many people have been taught that self-sufficiency is a strength when in fact we actually don't, we're not going for independence, even though that's a word that's bandied about. We're going for interdependence if we're going to be mentally healthy and emotionally secure. Interdependence means, and, and we say, the most flexible and healthy ego is one where when you're in distress, you can turn to those who you trust and love uh, and turn to others for help and depend on others. And when they're not there to depend on, that you can flexibly turn to yourself. But it is not turning to yourself first um, as a go-to. So I think that is a myth in, in our society. We are a very independence-oriented, individualistic, self-sufficiency-oriented society. And in fact, that is the opposite of mental health. Mm. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, what about, this is going to flip this around a little bit, and, and please correct it if it's wrong, but are there any gifts to any of this? Um, I One of my favorite books is The Four Gifts of Anxiety by Sherrianna Boyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk about that it's not all bad? Yeah. 
Um, well, actually breaking down sometimes is the best thing you can do. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, can I just use a quick metaphor? You know, sure. I, I'm a terrible skier. I'm a terrible skier. But, um, as am I. Because I started late. <laughs> as I started late in life. But um, what I do know is that the one time that I tore my ACL was when I was desperately trying to keep myself from falling. I knew I was going to fall, and I was afraid to fall, and my body got rigid, and when I fell, my knee snapped. And, um, but as I learned as I went on uh, with skiing that when you know you're going to fall and you let yourself fall, your body relaxes, and it's not a terrible thing. You fall, you learn from it, you get up, and you can try again another day. Um, and so that's my metaphor, which is that sometimes when we break down or our children break down or adolescents break down, it's really a good thing because it's a cry for help, right? And so um, in the same way that I use the analogy with very uh, young children to parents, I say, you know, when your child is in distress, first they whine. Then they cry if nobody's picked them up when they've whined, and nobody's picked them up when they cry. They cry louder. If nobody's picked them up when they cry louder, they scream. And then if nobody's picked them up when they scream and they're desperate, they go silent. What we don't want is for our adolescents and children to go silent. That's the worst thing you can do because they internalize their conflicts, and it leads to much more severe mental health issues going forward. We want to be listening to our children, both in a real way to their words, but also listening to their body language, to their social cues. We, want to, we really want to pay attention to our children so we understand when they're in distress and we can address that distress earlier rather than later. But when children express signs and symptoms like depression and anxiety, it is really an opportunity to get them help, and I said, as I said uh, earlier, an opportunity to change the relationship with them, to be closer to them. Um, so, yes, you're right. Sometimes these breakdowns can be an opportunity. Hmm. What's your take on social media? <laughs> That's a can. I just opened the can of worms. Yeah. Sorry, you can hear it open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Social media. Okay. Social media. <laughs> in and of itself is, first of all, I don't think it's going away. So let me start by saying I don't think, I think it's an adversity that's not going away. I do think there's, there are aspects of it um, for a small part of the population of healthy children and adolescents and adults where it can, it can have a positive influence, right? Nothing is all negative necessarily, um, meaning it can bring you know, adolescents together in a way they weren't together. It can bring adults together when they, you know, in a way they weren't together. But that assumes a certain foundation of emotional health. Um, we have so many uh, adolescents today who are not doing well emotionally, and often their parents have no idea that they're not doing well. Um, and so as a result, you layer things like social media, which is very harshly critical, very idealized and perfectionistic, um, and increases things in an adolescent brain like self-consciousness and harsh criticism, which are already very much part of, uh, I talk a lot in the book about brain development. And, you know, one of the things we know is that the threat sensing part of the brain is very active. And that means things like harsh criticism and self-consciousness are very intense for adolescents. And the emotional regulating part of the brain uh, is, is lagging behind in development. So 
what we know is they're already susceptible to these things. And when you expose them to social media intensely, um, it really has a major impact on their brain. Um, and th- there are also studies to show that um, when teenagers are exposed to a lot of stimulation, not a little, not a middle, but a lot of stimulation, intense amount of stimulation, which is the way that they use social media because they're always on social media because it's ever present, um, that their reaction, the dopamine reaction, is tenfold that of an adult. So when an adult overdoes social media, their brain is very stimulated. But when an adolescent overdoes social media, it has a tenfold increase in dopamine um, and we know that that is really what is causing a lot of the addictions to social media, substances, food, gambling, pornography. Got it. So we're running out of time. <laughs> I can't believe a half an hour yeah. went by that fast. Um, you know, with maybe five minutes to go, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about? Because this is really a good book. And I see that on Amazon, it's uh, trending in the number one categories and it's, uh, it seems quite popular. So congratulations on that. That is not Thank easy you. to Thank do. You you, yeah. And, um, and maybe you want to talk about your other book as well. So the other book is called Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. And it really talks about the first three years being the first critical window of development that lays down that foundation uh, for emotional security, attachment security, um, and, and emotional health and resilience to stress in the future. And there's a lot of really good uh, what I call brain science for lay people. So everyone can understand it and it makes a lot of sense and I say the more information you have as a parent to help you to make decisions on how to interact with your child, your young child, or your adolescent, um, you know, what you can do to increase that closeness and relieve that suffering and hopefully even prevent the suffering, um, it, it, it starts very early. So the first book covers the first critical window of development, and if you miss that window, then the second book covers the second critical window, which is 9 to 25. So I think of them in, in my mind as kind of a pair. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between what the brain is doing in the beginning and what it's doing in adolescence. We have a question, uh, actually, from, from somebody who just wrote in as we were talking. Um, why do children blame uh, – why do adult children blame – turn around and blame their children – I'm sorry – I'm going to read this right. Why do adult children turn around and blame their parents for everything? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, it, it's, it's normal for children to blame their parents. Um, if you have a toddler or you remember what your toddlers were like, if they stubbed their toe, they would come up to you and slap you in the face as their mother or father, whoever was watching them, um, because of the feeling that you should be caring for them and taking care of them and preventing bad things from happening to them. So it's quite normal to be the object of your of your child or adolescent's um, uh, feelings that you're responsible. And we have to hold that as parents rather than get defensive or get angry or respond to them in a negative way. We have to hold it and help them. Again, our responsibility as parents is to help them to regulate their emotions. And in the books, both of the books, I talk to parents about how they can handle precisely that kind of interaction with their child. Beautiful. Uh, anything else? Because this is really informative. 
We're getting lots of comments well, as I you're mean, talking. This just, is helpful. So <laughs> just just that I just that I really hope that um, you know that people read the whole book um, because I think you could be tempted to maybe pick a chapter out that seems to apply to you. Mm-hmm. But I think knowledge is so important for parents. The more knowledge, I mean, the more I do this, the more parents come to me and write me and say, just knowing about the, the brain science behind what's going on with my child, help me to be more patient. Just knowing uh, what I can do or stay in a practical way the knowledge has helped me to have a better relationship with my child. So knowledge is powerful. Self-awareness is powerful. So we don't repeat the mistakes that our parents made with us. Um, and so I encourage you just to read the whole book if you can, even if it's uncomfortable, as you said earlier, some of these things are uncomfortable. And then mm-hmm. use it as a reference book when you need a particular chapter to, to turn back to. Beautiful. What's your website? dot Commissar, K-O-M-I-S-A-R.com. And at Twitter, it's Erica Commissar, CSW, and I'm also on Instagram. Beautiful. Another great book from our friends at HCI. Congratulations on your success. I think, is the book released? Um, it comes out October 19th, correct? Or is it out? It did. It, 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 it actually was delayed like all books because of uh, the supply chain issues. So now it is going to be on shelves and ready to ship on November 2nd. That is the November new 2nd. ship date. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. And it's called Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling by Erica Komisar. And Erica, thank you so much for being here with us. And we really look forward to you joining us as uh, a speaker at our global summit on October 22nd. So um, get, thank you get more so of your much. questions. <laughs> yeah, thank you too. Get more of your questions uh, written down for Erica as we'll, um, she'll be joining us on video on October 22nd. And I can't remember your speaking time right offhand. I don't have it. But um, if you go to besteveryou.com and click conferences. You can register for our conference right there. There's a really good speaker lineup, a full day of, uh, of speakers on a variety of different topics on the realm of success on your own terms. And um, that, that, that right there is another can of worms with parenting, isn't it, Erica? <laughs> success. It is. It, oh, is. it is. It is. And redefining it. Maybe that's the way to put it. Redefining success in terms of Beautiful. children. Beautiful. All right, Erica, thank you so much. And everybody, thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Take care and have a great day. Thanks again, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you tuned in. Be brave, be bold, be you. And remember to visit us at besteveryou.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.